Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and joining me on today's episode once again are Rachel. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. And Jason is back with us again today. Good morning, Jason. Hey, folks. It's a beautiful morning. It is. It's good to good to be together for conversation once again. So we're going to we're going to spend a little bit of time in Colossians today, looking at at the very beginning of this letter. We started a new sermon series looking at Colossians on Sunday, and in the sermon, I kind of basically picked up at verse 9. So we're going to kind of take a look at the first few verses today and maybe do a little bit of kind of introduction to Colossians as well. And so I want to kind of start start here before we get into the kind of meat of the letter itself, because, you know, I've, I've been thinking as we've been as I've been kind of preparing for this series and and looking at some stuff getting started, one of the things that I've been thinking about that I, I find myself thinking about a lot whenever I begin a series on a kind of a book of the Bible is just, I I find myself thinking about the ways that we typically read letters in scripture or books of the Bible in scripture and how it feels like just because of the way we kind of do Bible study and kind of modern church, a lot of the times we're kind of picking out like a short section of these letters and talking about them, dissecting them, but a lot of times doing it kind of separate from the rest of the letter itself. And I just feel like it's so helpful to treat them as a letter and to read them fully and to go through them and to sit down and take time to just read it in its entirety. And I feel like I I always notice or, or notice something different or kind of absorb it, absorb it differently if I sit down and read the whole thing rather than just like turning to a memory verse type thing in a letter. And so I kind of want to start there and just I'm curious if y'all have had that same experience and, and just kind of want to think for a minute about the ways that we typically kind of take in these letters and, and different the, the impact that can have on, on what we do with them. Y'all have any thoughts on any of that? I think it helps when you read the letter as a whole, it helps you to connect like all the concepts together, which makes each of them richer rather than taking maybe one theological concept or like you said, like a memory verse um, in isolation. But this is true for all of scripture too, right? So we just finished like Jacob and as we went through his whole story, that helped us to understand more about God's promises and his faithfulness and how he works through broken people to bring redemption. But if you read like just one of the little parts of the story of Jacob, you wouldn't have gotten that whole redemptive picture. So I think this is true for really all of scripture is that the more you take in, the more that the pieces fit together because scripture is kind of like a puzzle. And so the more time you spend working on it, the more the pieces come together and the more the picture as a whole becomes more revealed and clear. So yeah, I definitely agree with you. And it doesn't take long to read. So it might be a good idea for people to just read the whole book before or as we're starting this sermon series. It probably takes like 10 minutes. So yeah, I I think the, uh, the challenge, I think a lot of times is that the Bible as a whole looks big and long and so many words and incredibly intimidating. And so I think a lot of people, particularly people who may be maybe not as avid readers or maybe people who are new to the faith and aren't used to, 
kind of the structure and the organization of the Bible may look at something like that and be incredibly intimidated. And so a lot of times in church, whether it's in Bible classes or in small group studies or in a sermon, a lot of times we'll take snippets of text primarily because you can't deal with, you know, a whole book all at once. And so at most you might have a series break up even a short book like, you know, like we're doing with Colossians into multiple weeks and kind of little bite-sized pieces. Um, but Rachel's right. A lot of the books, especially many of the letters, are so short that you can read them in 10 minutes or less. There are some books that you can read in two minutes, probably, two or three minutes. Um, and I think part of the benefit of doing that, like Rachel said, is you get the whole of the text. And especially with the letters that, that uh, Paul and a few others wrote that are in our Bible, um, there's a specific context to those letters and understanding um, kind of comprehensively what what it may have been going on at this time, which Paul sometimes alludes to and other times, you know, it is left a little bit of a mystery. But what is going on in that church? What is going on with uh, with Christians at that time? And that's the the context by which we have to interpret uh, whatever is being written. And so if we take two or three verses in in a book of the Bible, in especially one of the letters, or, you know, I think the Gospels is, uh, the, the, four the four Gospels are a good example of this as well. If we take a few verses and we say, oh, that's very nice, that's a nice memory verse, and we don't really place it within the context in which it was written or the context in which it was very often spoken or read, uh, then we're, we're probably missing some pretty critical aspects of, of what the Bible is trying to tell us. Um, and, and I think that goes all the way to, you know, some of the introductions that Paul includes in his letters, you know, such as in Colossians is that there is context to these, uh, the, to these introductions and there's, and there are, you know, very often, I think, interesting asides that we can read uh, in some of these introductions as well. Yeah, I think so. And so that's that's probably a good lead into to where we'll spend some time today in Colossians, because I do think this is it's part of part of the letter that we typically kind of speed past. And so I want to spend, and admittedly, I didn't spend any time in it on in the sermon on Sunday. So <laughs> we're coming back to it today. And so that's part of why I want to spend this time looking at these first first eight verses of, of the letter today, because I do want to cover the entirety of the letter in some form or fashion over this series, whether that's in podcast form or, or sermon form. And, and so we'll look at all verses of this book in, in some form or another. And, and again, this is not to say that there's, because as you said, Jason, you know, there, sometimes because of format, there's just, you can't look at, at a whole book, obviously. And so because of format or, or what we're trying to do with something, yeah, there, there are, of course, times when we're going to break it up, but, um, but it helps to have that, that more complete picture. And I think to your point, Rachel, of what, of kind of, since you brought up the Jacob story and how we kind of, since we've been going through that, you know, it was interesting to me that I found myself, I don't usually get 
I'm not an overly emotional person. And I certainly like, I don't ever like feel overcome with emotion or anything typically when like preparing for a sermon. But when I was preparing like the last sermon for that Jacob series and thinking about and writing out my thoughts on Jacob and Esau's reunion, I think it was the most like emotional that I ever felt preparing for a sermon. And it was because we'd had those weeks of setup, you know, and, and going through just all this struggle of Jacob's life. And then just picturing that moment when, when Esau comes and embraces him, um, I think is so much more powerful, as you said, when you go, when you've gone through the whole story, rather than just like picking it up without, without any, any context or background work or, or anything like that leading into it. Yeah, I think that came across in the sermon and you could even sense that among the listeners and I could even hear people actually weeping (laughs) as you were preaching that story because we had the whole picture or at least we had a bigger version of the picture than maybe what we had known of it before. And so it definitely made that moment of reconciliation so much more meaningful. So I guess as it applies to the letters, it helps just in the same way to know the whole story, to um, not just look at individual verses, but to like get the the context of the whole letter and then to take those individual verses. So, right. And I think it makes the reading of it more rewarding just the way it does with the narratives in the Bible too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so if, if you haven't, if you're listening to this and haven't read Colossians in its entirety, I would encourage you to do that. The, the title of this, that I gave the series is called Is Full, and that really came from kind of my takeaways from reading the letter in its entirety, that there's, there's a lot about being filled and about Christ embodying the fullness of God and about us being filled by Christ and all this stuff. Uh, all this kind of imagery and language of fullness that comes through throughout the letter in in different ways, and so so the 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 theme the the title of the series itself is kind of came out of that that idea of of trying to to read the whole thing and and take in the theme of it as as a whole. Uh, okay, so I want to um, one more quick thought before we get into it, and because. So I introduced the letter in the sermon, so I won't spend a whole lot of time kind of setting up kind of the purpose of the letter or, or context of it, except to say briefly that there is some thought that, that perhaps Paul is not the, the author, the writer of, of Colossians. Uh, there, there are still many scholars who feel like Paul wrote it, but there are others who feel like maybe someone else wrote it. Um, this is in part because there is some language and just some stylistic stuff in Colossians than, that is different from some of Paul's other letters. There are actually, I think, uh, something like 34 unique phrases or words in Colossians that don't appear elsewhere. And I think some would say it sounds a little more formal in Greek than some of Paul's other letters. And so some have theorized that perhaps this is someone else kind of writing under Paul's names, maybe someone who has studied or learned under Paul. Others have said maybe it's Timothy who kind of takes more of a lead on this letter than Paul does, because it is, at the intro, we are told that it is Paul and Timothy who are kind of writing this. So maybe Timothy takes more of an active role in the writing of this letter. Um, But it could also be that this is simply Paul who is writing later in his quote-unquote career, and so maybe some of his style has changed over time, 
Or of course, you know, I think Paul would, Paul even says elsewhere, you know, I have become all things to all people. And Paul was a very educated person, which I think we forget sometimes. Um, but so perhaps this is just Paul knowing he's writing to a different audience. And so he's got to use some different language. Uh, these are people that, that Paul, this is not a church that Paul established. And so maybe Paul kind of has a different writing style, you know, to people that he isn't as intimately connected with. So I think there are all kinds of, of possibilities here. Another theory is that once Paul gets into prison, this is one of the uh, prison epistles, it seems. There's a theory that kind of once Paul gets to prison, some of his writing changes, um, which I think, you know, I would imagine that, that being in prison could, could have an impact on you in many different ways. So, so all kinds of different theories about why this letter might have a little bit of a different style. Um, but how, however you end up, it seems that it's connected to Paul somehow. It's either Paul writing it or someone very closely connected to Paul. Um, or inspired by Paul. Inspired, yes. It is written or inspired by Paul, which I do think is interesting. You get to the end of the letter, he has this line where he says, I, Paul, a lot of the letter is written in first person. Then in chapter four, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand which would seem to give credence to either the idea that there's some sort of, sort of like secretary writing it that he is dictating the letter to, or Timothy is writing it in conjunction with Paul, but Paul kind of takes over for that one part and is like, look, I'm here too. Um, so, uh, so many different possibilities, even with that one verse that... That are, that are interesting, if nothing else. And, and we're going to come back to some of that at the end with a possible, I think, very likely connection between Colossians and Philemon. That's kind of how we'll end the series, so I won't jump too much ahead to that. Uh, so with all that is kind of set up, we're, like I said, we are going to spend some time today, finally now, in Colossians 1, 1 through 8. And so I'm going to read this for us as we typically have, and then I'll just throw it out to Jason and Rachel. One idea, one, one kind of thought that I had is that if, if you're listening to this and are in a place where you can do so, it may be good to either kind of press pause after I read these verses or to, to, to read them for yourself and maybe just kind of pray over them by yourself for a little bit, um, meditate on them and, and see what comes, comes to your heart and mind as you think on the words yourself and then maybe come back to the conversation. I um, thought that might be an interesting way to, to sort of uh, interact with, with the text and, and our conversation here, and, and maybe take some time first to kind of think on them yourself before hearing maybe what we have kind of come to and some thoughts on these verses. So if you're able to do that, and if you're in a place where you can do that, if that's part of how you kind of, if you take these in at home or something like that in your own personal kind of study or devotional time, maybe that's possible and it's something that you could do. But if not, of course, just keep listening through and we'll, we'll share our thoughts and you could go back later and listen. So, or, or read on your own later, I mean. Uh, so this is Colossians 1, 1 through 8. So like I said, I'll, I'll read these, Jason and, and Rachel, and then throw it to y'all first and see what thoughts you have or what, what you notice in these verses. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, 
because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Okay, so that's how Paul begins this letter. What do you hear? What do you notice? What do you see in these verses? Well, first of all, you spoke a moment ago about the authorship and some of the questions around that. And I don't know why this hadn't occurred to me before, but that first line, you know, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. It's clearly indicating that Paul is not the only author of this letter, in my opinion. Right. That it's clear. It's clearly saying, you know, we, we attribute Colossians to Paul, whether fairly or unfairly, but Timothy, it seems, is having some amount of influence over the text, either because he, maybe he's writing it, you know, he's, he's the actual one writing it on behalf of he and Paul, um, or just that whoever is writing it is doing so with Paul and Timothy as uh, co-authors, if you will. And, and so what, what kind of stands out to me and, and that, well, then it goes on to speak your, you, as you mentioned in first person, but it's first person plural, you know, it's not I and me and my, it's we and our and us. Um, there's, and so I, I think that that's important. And I also think that that um, points to kind of the nature of uh, of these letters in general and, and much, I think much of the, the New Testament especially, and maybe the Old Testament too, although I don't, I don't know enough about the history of the Old Testament to say, but um, I think the, the history of the authorship in, in our society, we think of authorship as sacred, you know, that we have copyright and we have, um, you know, wanting to provide appropriate attribution and citation of authorship and that kind of thing. I don't, intellectual I don't, property. Yeah, intellectual property. I don't think any of that was nearly as important then and maybe not important at all except for kind of validating truth. So like if I if I was an acquaintance of Paul or a student of Paul or uh, or someone who just respected and revered Paul and I decided to write a letter to another church in Paul's name, I don't think anybody would necessarily think twice about that as long as I was doing so with a genuine spirit of trying to accurately represent Paul's perspective, you know? If I thought, because that would lend some legitimacy to what I was saying and I would be doing something on Paul's behalf with or without his knowledge or consent. And, and I think that's an important fact or, or that's an important perspective to, to look at when, when talking about authorship is that we can't, 
we can't look at authorship of the Bible with 20th century Western eyes. That it's a different mindset. It's a different idea of what it means to be an author or what it means. You know, the whole concept of copyright probably would have seemed absurd to Paul, perhaps. You know, um, so I, I, as we read through this opening um, introduction and Thanksgiving and prayer, that was one thing that jumped out. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. That's not the most important part of this passage, but that was one thing that jumped out. It's okay. That's what podcasts are for, right? Exploring some of these these ideas, because I think, like you said, to me, First Corinthians, like you you said, you hadn't you you hadn't really kind of paid attention to that part about Timothy being mentioned there. First Corinthians is almost a more egregious example of that, I think, because First Corinthians begins Paul uh, called to be an apostle by Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. <laughs> just like that dude never gets any credit. <laughs> yeah. At least we know who Timothy is, partly because Paul wrote a letter to him, right? But yeah. But like this other guy who apparently had a hand in in First Corinthians, like we, I've never heard anyone ever. Anywhere, talk about Sosthenes. Is that so, the only mention of him in the Bible? As far as I know. But it's interesting because, like you said, in, in Colossians, there's this transition where it, it's Paul and Timothy. Then there's the we language. But then after verse 8, it switches to I. But in 1 Corinthians, it immediately starts with just I. And so I think that's part of the reason that, that there's a thought that it's, it's mostly, mostly Paul um, but there is there is a mention of Sosth- or of Asosthenes in Acts Acts eighteen, so, and I have not done enough prep to know if if that's thought to be the same guy. This just came. This is just a thought I had when you were sharing that. So, so I'll reserve comment there. But but yeah, I think it's 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 worth noting that these are probably collective works where where there are other people involved with Paul in maybe places where we typically just attribute words to Paul. Partly because he's well-known and partly because it's easier, probably, honestly. Well, and, and like I said, sometimes it's a matter of a, uh, you know, a acolyte or a, uh, an apprentice or a, or a follower or an admirer essentially doing the work of, uh, of Paul on his behalf. And so I think that that's something that we, we don't necessarily think of as legitimate today, but I think at that time certainly would have been legitimate. So my initial thoughts were a totally different direction. I'm I'm Um, sure. And I very much appreciate, (laughs) I very much appreciate the different direction that your thoughts. That's why I I like having both of you on. That typically happens with us. Um, so my thought was I, I decided to not read from my Bible and just close my eyes and listen to Warren reading it because the people who were hearing this letter were most likely hearing it, not reading it. Um, And so it was probably read to them by a messenger or maybe Epaphras in their church. And so I was just trying to imagine that experience of receiving this letter for the first time or hearing this letter, being the the church in Colossae, hearing this letter. And so I'm imagining these new believers and... um, it's a young church. It's a new church. They're being led by Epaphras. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached to them, and people have been 
set free from demon possession. People have been healed. Um, people have been brought out of immoral lifestyles and people have been just rescued and redeemed and baptized and people are coming to faith, poor are being cared for, the sick are being healed. And I just get this sense of like excitement among all these new believers. And if you've ever been a part of something that kind of feels like a movement or like it's new or it feels successful, you know, like maybe it's a sports team that you associate with, like when Baylor does anything that's successful, I feel like, wow, that's me, you know, I feel like I'm winning too when they win. Um, And so I just get this sense that there's this excitement together and they come together for worship and they get to hear this letter and I feel like they think, wow, we were considered important enough to be written to by Paul and Timothy. Like we've heard about these guys, we've never met them, but they thought that what's happening among us is important enough to address. And I just feel like there was this sense of excitement of, oh, we're valuable enough. And then he says um, that the gospel that has come to them is indeed in the whole world bearing fruit and increasing. And I think it may have been for some of them just this moment of, wow, like, you mean what's happening among us is happening in the whole world? Like, I think that they realized that their movement was so much bigger than they thought. Like, maybe they thought this was something special happening in Colossae, and maybe they had heard of a couple other churches. But Paul tells them, what's happening among you and the success of the gospel and the healing of the sick and the spreading of the kingdom of God is happening in the whole world. And I think that that was just this really significant moment for them as believers and as a church to realize that they were part of an international movement, this global movement. Um, And I think that this this kind of cosmic scope is something that Paul brings to the whole letter, whoever the author is, um, brings to the whole letter of you are part of something bigger than yourself and God is doing something in the whole world. And I think that that's really exciting and it's humbling. Um, and I think it just creates more motivation too of what you're doing really matters. That's an interesting point because we, again, kind of contrasting, the world at that time to our world today, you know, if something happens on the other side of the planet, you know, we, it's easy for us to learn about it, especially if it is kind of a massive movement. Um, But they didn't have that then. They didn't even have that to necessarily know what was going on on the other side of the Roman empire, uh, or at least not easily. And so getting that kind of uh, encouragement of how, really the scope of what was going on in uh, in the church at that time probably was even more powerful for them than it might be for us today, just simply because that wasn't the kind of thing that that they ever would necessarily hear about or that they would necessarily be a part of. And so it was, and so it was incredibly, I would think, encouraging awe-inspiring, um, maybe intimidating <laughs> or a little frightening. Um, but, but yeah, that, that would, that's a really good point. Yeah. And I think it is also, you know, uh, Scott McKnight, who's an author, and uh, Scott McKnight has done a lot of work on, or talks a lot about the ways that these letters would have been heard, as you said, Rachel, and, and the idea that they were probably delivered with a messenger who was reading them, 
which uh, several of the letters sort of mention people who, who we would kind of assume to be the, the readers, the messengers. And, and even in, I think in Colossians 4, there's in Colossians 4, 7, it mentions Tychicus, or however you say his name, I'm probably butchering all these names. Um, but he, he says that Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And, and there's a thought that, you know, when that the messenger would have been there with the rider and that the rider would have possibly even kind of told them how to almost like perform certain parts of the text of the letter, that there's sort of a, a one act play or one person play kind of performative aspect to, to how these would often be heard or, or absorbed. Um, many people think, and, and also, you know, along with that, since you mentioned the word cosmos, um, Rachel, it, it reminded me of one of my favorite, there's, there's this great N.T. Wright quote on, again, kind of the connection between Colossians and Philemon, which I, I don't want to jump ahead there, but we'll get to that. That's part of my favorite parts of Colossians, actually, I think. So we'll save that, though, for later in the series. But, but kind of in thinking about Colossians and um, and Philemon, N.T. Wright says, for Paul, this is as big as the cosmos and as small as these two people. And I think that's the beauty of it and kind of what you were talking about there. And we did not even plan to to both think about or talk about cosmos. So that worked out well. <laughs> um, but that idea that this is something that, that is having this great impact amongst the people there at Colossae and is something that is spreading and growing throughout the world is a pretty remarkable concept and, and idea that that yeah that, that Paul seems to be trying to to make sure that they get and, and kind of hear. Yeah, I love that. And it is neat that Jason basically was emphasizing the two people like that it's coming from. And then I got the opposite end of that spectrum of the world and the cosmos. And so, yeah, it is both and both matter because this comes from the heart and the soul and the voice of particular people in a particular context and circumstance and geography. But it extends to the whole world, um, even today. So it was written in their time and in their place, but it's extending into the whole world today. Like we're still studying this text over 2000 or 2000 years later, or whatever it is, you know? And so that cosmos is still expanding. Like the kingdom of God is still expanding even through these texts. Uh, I love that you said that there was a performative aspect for the messenger. And it just makes me wish that I knew like what were the instructions or like what was he told like okay do your hands this way you know when you say these words or emphasize this word or make sure you don't use that accent when you say this because that accent brings up this other idea or you know I just that would have been so cool to know what are the parts that he wanted emphasized or that he wanted to be said louder or quieter. Like maybe when it was a rebuke, was that done in like a harsh tone vocally or was that brought in quietly and like, hey guys, you need to straighten up your behavior here, you know? Um, I just think that that's just a, a such a fun aspect to think about how these letters came alive and how they were spoken to their original audiences. Yeah, absolutely. 
And the the other part of kind of that section that, that sort of stood out to me is where, you know, because as you said, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as, as, just as it has been doing among you. And that, that word among you um, was, was part of what kind of stood out to me about this section, because it's not even that, that the gospel is, is growing and doing something within them as individuals, but that something is happening with what the gospel is doing and producing amongst them as a group of people. And, and I think that's important um, because, again, even when we think about – so I keep jumping to Philemon because it's, it's where I want to go with this series. It's resist, one of my favorite books in the, the New urge, Testament. Warren, resist but, the urge, But even with Philemon – I'm not going to get into the content of it. Even with Philemon, it's this book written to one person. But even at the beginning of the book, it mentions and like all the other people in your home. And so there's this aspect sort of, of interconnectivity – and accountability that's built into, I think, the way that Paul sees Christian life. And, and I think that's, that's something for us to keep in mind, perhaps especially now in our current situation where we've kind of, we're an individualistic kind of more, we're certainly more individualistic than the people of Paul's day. And I, I, I think we've been coming out of a a period now where we have been forced to perhaps even be more individualistic or more disconnected. And, and I, I think this idea that, that Paul is, is pointing out that the gospel produces something or does something amongst you as a group, um, I, I think is valuable and important. And we've talked about that in some of our Wednesday Zooms about the importance of, of reading scripture together. And, and Rachel, you and I have talked about it on the podcast about the importance of of, of reading scripture in community. And, and I do think that we, we miss something if, if we only think about the gospel in, in individual terms, um, that it is, it's, it is individual, it is global, and it's also what's happening amongst the people that you're in relationship with, um, kind of within your Mm. church family. That's so good. I had never really made that connection to Colossians being about community, but now looking at it, I can totally see that. Like later when he'll get into not letting people disqualify you and not letting anyone insist on asceticism or worship of angels or things like that, because those were problems that were dividing the community. Or like asceticism is like fasting so much and stuff. And he's like, guys, you should be eating together. Like you need to share meals together. This is part of community. Yeah. Enjoy life. That's an interesting (laughs) point. I hadn't thought of it. I I like the, the gospel is working among you. Even that word, one word really brings out the point of community. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's a, that's a good kind of introductory look for us at, at those, those verses and some introductory thoughts on, on the book and Paul and all kinds of different stuff. So uh, so thanks for listening. Hope that, that, um, that maybe as you've listened along, you've been able to get something from those verses as well. I do encourage everyone, especially those who are among us at the vine to, to read through Colossians on your own and, and see what themes, what threads you pick up on as, as you read through there. So thanks Rachel and Jason for, for spending this time with, with me today and always enjoy talking to y'all. Thank you, too. It was fun. Yeah, it's great to talk about the Bible together. It is. It is a good thing.
And it's a good thing to start to the day. Yeah. (laughs) To consider what the gospel is doing among us is, is maybe a good, a good thing to, to think about. Rachel, you want to close us in prayer for today? Good idea. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. I just pray that um, we would live out the gospel among ourselves, God, that we would have opportunities to bear fruit and to carry the message of your hope and your truth to those around us. Thank you for our church, for the vine. I pray that you would be with each person today, whatever circumstances they're walking through, that they would remember that Jesus is inside of them, the hope of glory, and that you are at work in the community, that they can always reach out to the community and we're ready to receive them. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen.